Hi, Hi guys. guys. You're listening to Stuart Pink on Phoenix FM. Yes, it is indeed. I'm very excited today. A special edition of the podcast here with uh, my movie mate, film friend and resident film critic on Phoenix FM, the brilliant Mark Searby. He joins me every Friday for film reviews of all the latest Hollywood releases and all sorts. Uh, But he's catching up in this edition of the podcast with uh, actor Stephen Moyer. Now, Stephen is in to talk about his latest film, Confession, which Mark has also reviewed on Friday. Uh, But... Stephen is a local lad. He was raised and grew up in Brentwood and he had a catch up with Mark all about his fond memories of growing up and spending time in Brentwood, Billericay and surrounding areas. His mum still lives in Billericay uh, <laughs> and it's a, a lovely chat, um, including one of my favourite terms of all time. If you want to find out what Fanta Pants means, this is the place for you. So I'm going to hand over to Mark Searby for a chat, a brilliant chat with the lovely Stephen Moyer. Film reviews and movie news with Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. Thanks for tuning in to Phoenix FM. My name is Mark Searby. I'm usually reviewing the films. However, today in a very special interview, we are here with actor Stephen Moyer. Now, Stephen is going to tell us about his latest film. He's also going to tell us about growing up in Brentwood as well. We've finally (laughs) got the man to tell us what it was like. So, Stephen, thank you for joining us. Where are you, Mark? Uh, so I'm in Brentwood. I'm just behind the high street. Is that near where the Thermos factory used to be? Yes. Okay. Is it still there, the Thermos factory? Uh, sort of. Sort of. I used to talk about the fact that, yeah, well, you, you might not think that Brentwood's got anything, but we, we've got like the biggest Thermos factory. And, you know, it used to be like <laughs> the, 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 the one thing that we had. Um, and uh, I think we had the first... P- Pizza Express in in Essex as well, which was a big deal back then. You see, you've got a history of Brentwood already and you've been gone for so long as well. And on the crossroads, what's that? uh, uh, Is Gallows Corner? No. What was the what's the, what was that place called opposite the roundabout opposite the diametrically opposite to Pizza Express? There was a there was a corner. You're talking about Wilson's Corner. Wilson's Corner. Thank you. Wilson's Corner. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you about Wilson's Corner then, because obviously, you know, you've come back over the past several years to Brentwood time and again. Uh, Wilson's Corner to you, having driven in America, is it as dangerous driving through Wilson's (laughs) Corner? Is it still a double roundabout? Yes. Yeah. Well, it didn't used to be. In the the old days, it was traffic lights. Um, When I was first, when I was, when I was growing up there, that was traffic lights. And they made it into a double roundabout. And 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 here's a bit of trivia: as as you, there used to be a great. Oh, this is really I'm really sucking this up from my um, from my history here. There was on that street um, was there was a sports shop, and it was called Jeff Robbins, and it was opposite like where the where the it, it, where the um, steps are to go up to the like court there is it the court or the magistrate's court is it oh yeah yeah and 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 there was a bus stop there i've got a really really naughty story about that i might tell you in a bit (laughs) and then and then on the actual high street was kelly's records and it was a great independent record store where i used to buy all my vinyl what sort of vinyl were you buying then in 1976 I bought my first album. I don't think it could have been my money, but it was an Elvis album. And, uh, and, 
And and then I used to go there and then I bought my first single in that shop. And that was, I believe, down in the tube station at midnight by the jam. Wow. That's yeah. so memorable. Remember that? Yeah. Well, that, that, that was that was very important. There's a there's a there's just along from where Kelly's records was. There's an eight, there's a what what in America they call ATM, but like a, a, a you know, where you get your money um, from the bank. And um, and I, when I was about 17, I was in a bar there. So if you've turned left at Wilson's Corner and you're going down the high street, there used to be a bar on the left-hand side. What that, like, quite, quite, what's that called there? Is that still there, that bar? No. Ah, there's an ATM over there. And I was over the other side of the street, and you know, my mate was about 17, 18, best friend in the world, lives in, lives in Southend. And, and, he was very drunk and he was trying to get money out of the ATM and he um, and it wasn't letting him get his money out. And I was watching him from the other side of the street with a girlfriend and Alan walked away from the wall, like drew a line with his foot. He was totally by himself. Very important part of the story. He was totally by himself, drew a line with his foot, turned around and ran at the ran at the hole in the wall with his head and ran straight into the machine because it wasn't giving him any money. And then fell on the floor, and I ran over the street with my, my girlfriend at the time. Went into the pub, got the boys out, and he, he had we had to take him to hospital because he had got stitches on his head. I swear to God, <laughs> true story. And there was nobody watching him. He wasn't doing it for anybody. The ATM hadn't given him any money, and he decided to run at the wall and and take it out on the wall. <laughs> There you go. That's a story I've never told before. So that sounds like you were quite rebellious in your younger years in Brentwood. We, it was a pretty wild time. Yes. But Wilson's Corner was always, a, you know, taking your, taking your life into your hands, going, going through that little confluence of vehicles. <laughs> it still and, is. And, and, and is Wilson's Corner, Wilson's Corner was a shop, wasn't it? There, there, there's a huge building on that corner, yes, which is now yes. several different shops and it used to have it, offices it, above it. It was a furniture store called Wilson's, I want to say. Yes. There you go. See? Got it. Even more knowledge. Yeah. Right, I should ask you about Confession first, really. Yes. Um, yes. Can go you ahead. give us a quick synopsis of Confession? So a man turns up at a uh, church um, having just been shot and he it's it's a friday evening the priest is about to close up the church and he forces the priest to um lock all the doors <clears throat> in the church and holds him at gunpoint and and as we can sort of tell by the by the name of the film he is is he's going to sort of admit to his sins shall we say there's something that he's got to talk about about his past and he feels like because he's been shot he's it's his, it's possibly he's going to be his sort of last rights and he wants to confess in but in so doing the priest starts telling him a little bit about his life as well and we start to realize that there is a few similarities that they didn't realize about both of their pasts and uh and thus the drama ensues. It's very difficult to sort of talk about because I don't want to give anything away. It's a very spoiler, spoiler heavy movie. Um, but that is a pretty good sort of beginning of, of, of I play a character called Victor Strong. I'm the guy who's been shot. Um, 
he's a gangster and the movie's set in Boston in America. Um, <clears throat> Colin Meany is the, is the priest and, and he is a, uh, and, and he is sort of the priest of this big Catholic church in the middle of Boston. So that's kind of the, the premise. Colin, Dave, Dave Beaton, who, who, who wrote it, who is also based in Essex. He's a, he lives in Colchester. Um, Dave had, and I had worked together. His, his other name is Ronnie Thompson. He used to write um, novels under the name Ronnie Thompson. And so I always knew him as Ronnie um, because we did a film called The Hatton Garden Job together. Um, and we sort of stayed in touch ever since. And uh, he got in touch with me during quarantine, first lockdown in sort of March, April, 2020. And he said, I'm writing something for you. And I, and I am sort of using the model of quarantine and lockdown as an idea to sort of create a one location movie with, a, with, with very few people in it, with a splinter crew. Um, and I think I've come up with an idea. I'm gonna send you the first draft. And, uh, and honestly, that first draft was almost kind of what we shot. It was an amazingly constructed, rather brilliant idea to be able to use one location. So, and Colin was the first person that we had on the top of the list to play the father. So we got very lucky. I want to ask you about Cole Meaney, who many people will know from loads of different things. You know, he's loads been a, of different yeah. Things. What's he like to work with in such a close environment? Utter twat. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's uh, he's a complete and utter delight. He he um, I I I I, I was a massive fan anyway. He did a film called The Commitments, which was the first of the Roddy Doyle trio. He's in all of them. Uh, he's in um, The Van, and uh, I think it's called The Snapper. My mind is blanking, but he's also in Con Air and just done so much stuff. He's just, just absolutely brilliant. And it was sort of a dream scenario to sort of be stuck in a room with him for, we only shot this over 12 days, but it was a really amazing situation. We, we shot during a period of time when everything was closed. It was the second lockdown and nothing was open. No hotels were open, no restaurants were open. And even though it's set in Boston, we shot it in Suffolk and uh, in, in a little town called, I think it's called, I, I think I say it wrong. It's spelt Debenham, but I think the locals say Debham. Um, and uh, their their church there, uh, doubling for Boston. We were in a little uh, golf club called Kingfishers in Suffolk, where we had two little wooden cottages next to each other. And he lives in Mallorca, Colm. And he brought over this amazing, like, cured ham uh, that he loves and different bits of cheese and stuff from Mallorca. And, and we'd go and sort of, like, buy our food every night after work and come back and we'd have little feasts together and learn the 724 pages of dialogue we had because there's only two people in the film <laughs> and so I just had a lovely time with him honestly we've 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 remained very close he's, he's a spectacular bloke really is a DIY job isn't it <laughs> yes yes yeah no creature comforts like uh, you know very low budget you know we no 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 dressing rooms no makeup trailers you know the the vestry was our where we put our costumes on and 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 um and the church hall was the makeup 
but 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 you know that's the sort of very nature of doing low budget movies anyway i love the freedom that that gives you in many respects you are you you know it's it's down and dirty guerrilla filmmaking and um and to shoot something like this in 12 days it's a it's a difficult place to put yourself in because you have to be very economical but you have to be really smart about how you shoot and um there's 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 one sequence where we shot 17 pages uh in in a single take and and, and that's a 27 minute take. And that, that in itself is not something you normally do, you know, on a usual, like sort of not nice budget movie, you're doing two and a half minutes a day, uh, two and up, which usually is about two and a half pages a day. You're, you know, on a television show, you're doing four and a half, five pages a day, um, sometimes more, but, but on a, on a feature to be doing like 27 minute takes, and if you, if you imagine, Mark, like you, you're doing a reset, right? Because when you reset, you reset makeup, you reset props, you reset the cameras, you, you know, the batteries get changed, people come in, everybody takes a breath of fresh air and, and or in Column's case, goes out and has their 27th cigarette of the day. And then, and then, they, then they come back in again and then you start again, but that's another 27 minutes. And when you're doing single camera movie making, um, and you're doing a wide, a medium, you know, two close-ups or two, two tight singles or French overs or whatever it is, or that's 27 minutes per take. So that's not many takes that you're going to get on a gigantic scene like that. So it's very, very, you know, you're putting yourself under sort of quite a boiling pot of pressure. I mean, you were saying there that, you know, you're, you're shooting a number of pages over a, a day at least. Add into the mix that the film is played out mainly in real time. So is yes. adding additional pressure to what you're already dealing with? Yes. I mean, I've always loved that as an idea, that idea of shooting something that takes place as you're seeing it happen. Um, I, I, um, if you imagine, right, I, I've already said this, my character get, is shot at the beginning. So when you're when you're creating blood on a on a on a white shirt, if you think of like Reservoir Dogs or something like that, where Tim Roth is shot, you know, and um, as blood starts to dry, if you imagine a, a piece of tissue paper on the floor with a bit of drop of water on it, the 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 the, the water sort of separates; it goes through the material, which means you then sort of get bleed through, which then means that that shirt isn't usable again if you're doing the shot again with the same amount of blood, right? Because it looks different on camera to how it looks when it's immediately shot. So you have to think about, about like, like that. Every, every scars and moments within the film where somebody gets a scar across their face. If you're shooting another bit of the film where later on in the day, maybe where it's earlier on in the film and the person doesn't have the scar, then you have to remove the scar, do the makeup from... You know, and if you're doing this over 12 days, it's a very elaborate sort of process. Um, and, and because the continuity has to remain all the way through for the 90 minutes, like the hair has to be exactly as it was from the shot before. So you may have shot the end of the movie like on the third day. Yeah, you know, it's, I heard this great story about Donald Sutherland the other day, which was basically, It's in his contract. I think it's in his contract that you shoot the middle of the, the movie last. And the idea behind it is because when you first turn up, you don't 
really know what you're doing. You're sort of fishing and you're finding the character. Um, but at the beginning of the film, the audience aren't going to be aware necessarily that that's what's going on because they're also discovering this character for the first time. But if you, if then the middle of the movie, the guy knows exactly what he's doing, the, the audience will then sort of believe what, what is happening during the middle of the film. And then the end of the film doesn't matter because it's usually, you know, sort of crazy and nuts. But if you've got the mid, if you know what you're doing at the middle of the film, so the last few weeks <laughs> you've, you're, you're doing the middle of the film, then, then hopefully you've taken the audience on a good enough journey for them to understand what it is you're doing, <laughs> which I thought was really interesting. I mean, that's going to take some acting talent, isn't it? I, I, I worked with Donald back in um, 2001, and uh, he's extraordinary. I've got a couple of great stories about him. Anyway, let's carry on. Um, I was going to ask you about the challenges of filming during lockdown. I know mm -hmm. we don't want to talk about it. You know, we're, we're trying to move past that. But with something like this, because it's so small, it's such a small budget. And as mm -hmm. you said, it is ultimately two people and, and, and a director and a couple of other people. What, what additional pressures is that? You know, it's it, it. I love indie filmmaking. I love the pressure that it puts on you. There is a, you know, there are there there are very few creature comforts within an indie movie, and and the work ethic of of just having to get it done is is. I, I often enjoy the creativity that that informs. It makes people have to really make creative decisions fast, and often at the end of the day, when you've got an hour left, and you and you and you've only got and you, you're nowhere near finishing your day, you have to make choices that often ends up making sort of really creative camera moves because you, you, you know, and I found this from, from really early on doing BBC dramas when I was like 21, 22, 23, um, because in England, we don't tend to pay overtime. So, so the day in England is an eight till seven day. Um, in America, they just carry on. They just pay the overtime. They just go, we, we shoot until it's done. Right, um, but they don't do that in 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 England. And and but but I really love the kickbollock scramble of the last hour. It's like it is a complete and utter right. How do we shoot this, and how do we make it happen in the best possible way? And so it can be incredibly enjoyable. I think to answer your question more succinctly, though, th there was a certain joy to shooting in lockdown. I've done something like seven films during this period of time, and. Um, and they've all been sort of in the indie world. And, and what's, what's really interesting about it is I, I came to this project from Bulgaria. I'd been doing a film in Bulgaria and I arrived after 35 days in Bulgaria to London. Uh, and we were lucky enough to have a house in London. And I, and I went to our house in London and was there for 10 days. Part of the governmental sort of quarantine was that you had to sort of stay inside for 10 days. And it was the second lockdown. Um, but what that actually meant was I didn't get to see all my friends like I normally would when I go home to London. I didn't get to go to my sort of favorite bars or restaurants or places or whatever, right? I had to just stay at home. And what that meant was I had this incredible sort of privilege of having 10 days by myself to go down the rabbit hole that I needed to go down to, to research my character, but also learn like 30 pages of dialogue. It was like learning a play. And I really set myself a sort of nine till five um, sort of structure every single day where I would sit down and work. And that's not something that, that I usually get the, the, the privilege to do because I've got kids, I've got four kids and, 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 and uh, you know, I run a company and, and 
you know, married and, and, and have a life and blah, 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 blah. So literally being by myself and being able to do that, that's not something that I usually get the opportunity to do. So, so for me, um, it was incredibly, it was just like a, a week or 10 days or five days here and there that I would never ordinarily get. And I was very thankful for. I, I, I want to actually mention about True Blood, obviously, yeah. Huge TV show um, around the world. Um, it went on for so long and, and massive. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to ask you what it was like to be a part of, but I think you've answered that quite a lot over the years. What I want to ask you about actually is the amount of nudity. Were you afraid of doing <laughs> the nudity in it? Um, good question. Um, I, as a human, am sort of allergic to the gym. It's not something that I <laughs> take it's not something that I need in my life. And yet <clears throat> I was I was 37 when I started True Blood. I was working with the lovely Ryan Quanton, who plays Anna's brother in, in True Blood. And and Ryan, so Ryan is probably like 10 years younger than me, I guess. So he would have been like 27 at the time. And Skarsgård um, is a similar age. I think Skarsgård was 29 when he started the job. And... Um, and Joe Manganiello, who, you know, has probably got, I mean, between, between Ryan Quantum and Joe Manganiello, the two most absurdly stupid bodies in televisual history, <laughs> it's nuts. And, and all much younger than me. So I, I spent a lot of time having to go to the gym, you know, under duress. But I, I also realized that I was going to be having to do a lot of that stuff. So I... I just made it part of my sort of day. I went every day for, you know, 10 years and uh, um, haven't been one year, one day in two years during this quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where when I first read that script, I, I knew that there was going to be nudity. I did start working out. I started running just, just, you just have to put the work in. It's as simple as that because ultimately you're the one who's going to have to look back and watch yourself and 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 see your little bloody dad board on 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 television. So it wasn't so much the actual filming. I'd, I'd actually done an awful lot of nudity in 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 a lot of the jobs that I'd done. Um, it wasn't so much the sort of doing the act of the, the sort of the the, the 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 sexual content that was that was embarrassing to me, but you know, people we're all a little bit vain about the way we look, and so you you kind of when you're up against Ryan Quanton and and Joe Manganiello, you have to put the hard yards in. I'm afraid, so I didn't really think about it in those terms, other than just like this is part of my job. And like, like when you're doing an accent, you know, I'm obviously playing American accent in that. You have to do the yards. You have to do the work. You, you have a dialect coach right? and, and your body has a body coach. And, you, you know, when you're singing, you have a vocal coach. It's, it's, it's literally like having a trainer to do the thing that you're training in. So you say about uh, having a trainer and everything, but if that was me in your position and I had to get naked next to Joe Manganiello and Alexander Skarsgård, I'd probably yeah. just 
get i'd probably just leave and get another actor in to be honest with you yeah well it, a body double would be lovely <laughs> i i'd 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 very what i'm getting very i'm very excited about when they can get face replacement to a point where i won't actually have to do any body work at all i mean scars scars isn't somebody who loves the gym either he 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 hadn't done he was not somebody who spent any time in the gym before true blood and uh he likes his glog um He's, he's, he, he was, he was a, he's, he's somebody who likes the bar as much as I did once upon a time. And uh, so he, he had to do the hard yards too. When he was training to, for Tarzan, he, he was, um, it was, I think it was maybe the final season. I think it was the final season. And um, he was just eating like salmon and tuna and, and, like by the gallon and working out like a lunatic and, and every, he's, he, every, you could tell that scars had just been around because there was this trail of fish everywhere. <laughs> he walked and people were kind of like gagging every time he walked past. It was hilarious. Um, obviously on, on the show, you met your now wife, Anna Panquin. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so I wanted to ask you a main question here. Have you brought Anna to Brentwood? And if so, what has she made of it? So, mum lives in Billericay. My sister lives in Epping. I grew up in Herongate, which is quite near Brentwood, um, but no family there anymore. One of my old, oldest, bestest friends lives there. Um, my my really best friend lives in Southend. So, I and we have a house in London. So there's very little need. To, to sort of go through Brentwood. I love Brentwood, but there was, I, I don't, it's not somewhere that sort of is, is a port of call because mum's in Billericay. Um, but for many years, I was the patron of Brentwood Theatre. So um, I have come in to do the odd little thing when I can, obviously quite rare for Brentwood Theatre. And Anna has been with me and um, she hasn't shared in the delights of the, First Pizza Express in Essex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I used to work. I, I did take her on a little tour, actually, because I used to work. It's not there anymore, but um, at the bottom of the high street on the right-hand side, there used to be a burger joint called Feeders, and um, which is no longer there. And I flipped burgers there from when I was 15 or 16. I, I did like a week at McDonald's, in Brentwood High Street. Um, I worked at the Seven Arches, which I hear is closed. It used to be at the back of Hartswood, at the, at the back of King George's. Yeah. On that back, the back side of it. Yeah. There used to be a fantastic pub there called the Seven Arches, which was like the hangout. And I worked behind the, par- the bar there. Um, no, so, so I have done the sort of tour of all the terrible places that I... I, I frequented and did some awful stuff. <laughs> um, I, 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 have, I have done that. And uh, she loves coming back. She, she loves coming home. She's very close to one of my best friends. They, they, she adores him. So whenever we come back, we see him. So, but that's Southend. Um, has Anna picked up any Essex slang? She's, she, so I don't know if you know this, but in America, they say twat instead of twat. And she says, twat. <laughs> There's so many things that are part of my makeup that are, that are born and bred in Brentwood. So there are t- turns of phrases 
that I, I mean, I'm not going to be able to think of one now, but there are terms of phrases that I have that are just pure Essex that she will, that she uses 100%. I can give you an example of one, actually. I'd love you to. Yeah, because several years ago when um, I was at San Diego Comic-Con and True Blood had a panel. Yes. Um, you were there and Anna was there. And most of the cast, apart from Skarsgård, were there. Yeah. At some point, was that the year that I had the cardboard cutout of Alex? Yes. I made a cardboard cutout of Alex to bring because yes. he couldn't come. Yes. That was it. There was there was a question or something that was asked, and somewhere along the line, I remember Anna turning a, a, and to Deborah Ann Wall and going, "That's because she's a ginge." <laughs> and I kind of thought the whole room is not going to get that joke apart from me and the other half who have come from Essex to see to get that one joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, there's loads. There's so many. I mean, so many that it's so much part of our vernacular that I don't even realise I'm doing it. Um, she's got a great one for her brother because her brother's got sort of dark hair and um, but he has a red beard when he grows his beard in it's kind of gingery and 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 she calls him Fanta face and 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 so when she's talking about people who have got ginger hair she goes I wonder if they've got Fanta pants <laughs> <laughs> and Fanta pants is one of my favorites um I mean, we should get off that because, you know, that's a bit, it's a bit rude, but I've got a couple more questions for you, Stephen. That's ahead, it. But I Go wanted ahead. to say, you know, what does Brentwood mean to you now as somebody who lives in L.A. and is doing all of these great shows and great films? But what, what does Brentwood still mean to you? I mean, it was the first sort of town that that, that going to, so funny to think about it, isn't it? Because because I remember getting on the bus and coming to Brentwood. And that was a massive thing, like coming to Brentwood was was like my going to London when I was young. Kelly's Records was was like sort of the centre of my universe for a little bit when I used to search out indie stuff and when I was sort of starting to develop music habits when I was 16, 17, you know, coming with my pocket money or my work money that I'd got and, and spending it on albums. And um, so Brentwood High Street was massive and, and, you know, I saw Star Wars. I don't know where the theatre is now in Brentwood, but there used to be a precinct down by, you know, on the... On, down on the left-hand side, there's that sort of ruined bit of um, the Pilgrim ruin, whatever it is. That's where the theatre used to be. Is it still there? No, uh, that, the got, that got knocked down and replaced with another centre called the Baytree Centre, which oh. has just got shopped and a gym in it. So I, I've not been there since then. We have no cinema whatsoever. Really? We have no. We've had no cinema since they knocked it down. And I think that was the last film I saw there was Scream 3. Oh my gosh. So, so that was my, like, that was my absolute, that was the center of my universe. We used to go to Saturday morning movies there, the Saturday morning picture show when I was really young. And, um, and that cinema, um, I, I have a visceral visual memory. Um, you had to go up steps to go to that cinema and um, made of like classic sort of eighties brutalist concrete. Yeah. And then, on a Monday night um, during my teens, they used to have, I, I could be wrong here, but I think it was a pound a night just on Mondays. And it would be all the youth of Brentwood would be there on a Monday night watching whatever film had come out. And it was a riot. People would be throwing things and screaming and talking. And in fact, it made the front page of the Gazette um, 
because because it 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 had become such a sort of you know terrible youth like ru- ruining ruining the the town. Um, and I think another thing that made the front page of the Gazette was um, I actually I'm not going to tell that story. It's so naughty. No, not you should. Sure, you should listen. We'll edit it out. It's fine. You can trust us. No, you won't. <laughs> I, I, I'm too long in the tooth. <laughs> Well, let me ask you another question then. You know, you were talking about uh, the, the youth of Brentwood. Did you ever put washing up liquid in the fountains in Brentwood? No, I did not. Okay. Was that a thing? Yes. And it, it still was a thing until they actually switched them off completely because people just oh kept God. doing it. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. So basically, people, it would be, you know, lovely fountains, very nice. And then loads of washing up liquid and it would spill out onto the roads. And then there would be traffic oh jams God. as cars would try to get just around the corner from Wilson's Corner, trying to get to St. There'd be soap suds everywhere. I never heard about that. Yeah. I will tell you one of the little things we used to do, which was really funny. The Brentwood Gazette, you know, the, this is, it's so difficult sort of describing this to kids, that, like my kids these days, that, that the internet wasn't a thing. You know, and the Brentwood Gazette was literally the... Everything, everything sort of was in the Brentwood Gazette, whether it was whether it was sport or whether it was the news or whether it was kind of like you were looking for a job or classifies or if you were buying something. And and in the back pages, there was this thing. (laughs) So naughty. So we would do this thing when it came out. I think it came out on a Thursday night and on a Friday, like at the weekend, a bunch of us would get together, uh, led by my sister's best friend. And it would be like. There's a speedboat for sale, um, you know, trailer, comes with own trailer, you know, size engine, blah, 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 blah. And then you'd go to another section of the classifieds and see what else was for sale, right? And then you'd call up the speedboat people and you'd go, uh, hello there, hello, I'm, I'm ringing about the, uh, the, your, your advertisement in the, in the Gazette. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Is it still for sale? Yeah. And... Um, uh, does it have a handle? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. you sort of lift it up and put it on the on the thing with a with a handle. So yeah, it has a handle. Oh, great, great. And and would I be able to fit uh, two kids in there? Um, yeah, yeah. No, you'd probably have to get like a family in there. Oh, really? Oh, okay. And and would it be safe? Would it be? Would I be able to sort of? Is it big enough that? or small enough that I'd be able to sort of get it up the curb. And basically you would find a commercial and what we were describing then would be like a pram. And you'd find something else that was in the Gazette that was being sold. And then you would describe that thing in, without telling the actual thing as it was. And basically then convince the person that, oh, no, no, I wouldn't, I, I'm, I'm calling about the pram. So I was trying to get the pram and we would do this for hours. <laughs> and the classifieds were such a big thing back then. But, oh, my God, it, hours and hours of laughter. You see, I thought you was going to give like a sensible, very methodical answer. And instead, you've just given me answers which are basically saying that in your youth, you ran riot. <laughs> I did. I was the I was the washing up liquid boy. <laughs> I think I will say this. I, I never thought growing up where I did, it, it never occurred to me that I would, I, I, I loved theatre and I was part of Brentwood Operatic Society and that was where I started. 
and um, and I started doing sort of plays at school and then Brimwood Operatic Society and then I branched out to Chelmsford Operatic Society and, and Chelmsford Young Generation, which is an amazing institution, and, and then Colchester Operatics. And my poor parents had to drive all over Essex, like taking me to these different places. And, um, and, <clears throat> and it never occurred to me, and I, I don't say this disingenuously at all, it never occurred to me that I would ever want to do television or film. It was not in my on my radar. I went to drama school to do theatre, to do plays. I I didn't have a dream of coming to Los Angeles. I didn't have a dream of, of being in big movies. I just wanted to do theatre. So when I first started out, when I left drama school, that's all I wanted to do. I I I, I went to Theatre Cluid. I went to um, which is the National Theatre of Wales in Mould. You know, and on that first job, I met Toby Jones, Risa fans, um, Steve Beckett, and you know, some uh, Jack Davenport was in that. <clears throat> he was in the he was in the little theatre next door. Jack's a very very old friend of mine, and 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 great, and um, <clears throat> and and then the next job, I, I suddenly never thought this was going to happen. I end up at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and and at the Royal Shakespeare Company, you know, I was working with with just these extraordinary people and it, it I just feel so lucky that all I ever wanted to do was make a living doing what I liked doing and um but and then suddenly you know you're suddenly doing a theatre job and then you're doing a tv job and then you're doing a film job and and but it never was something that I'd sort of like wanted to be in Hollywood you know would quite happily have been um where I grew up but um it's funny life takes you on a journey phoenix 98 fm go to phoenixfm.com and listen to online guest interviews check the events for your area and listen to great radio online a huge thanks to mark Searby for arranging that and conducting such a wonderful interview with the brilliant stephen moyer thanks to stephen for all of his time and sharing some wonderful stories about not only his time in and around Brentwood, Bidwicky and surrounding areas, but uh, some great stories from his, uh, his life and his career and everything. Um, great to have him on the show and you can obviously catch Confession, great film, out now uh, wherever you're getting your movies from. Uh, yeah, you can also catch Mark Sibby's review of it uh, at phoenixfm.com as well or Subscribe to the Film Reviews and Movie News podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And you can hear me and Mark waffling on about whatever films have been released on that week. Loads more great interviews as well on this podcast. If you search for the Now You're Talking podcast and subscribe, thank you for listening. Hopefully, I'll catch you again very soon. This is Phoenix 98 FM. The The actual story that's really naughty was that oh, I, can't, I can't do it it's so bad no i'm not gonna do it okay in, in which case don't don't tell me Stephen. but what it's i within would the like... classifieds realm uh, hang on a minute my wife's coming up the stairs <laughs> hello family stuff i thought she was stopping you telling that story <laughs> no 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 we we i'm not gonna do it people think that's horrific <laughs>